scripture text tonight, which should be familiar to most of you. It's, it's a very practical passage of scripture uh, concerning our relationships in the body of Christ and concerning our walk with the Lord and concerning our personal uh, holiness and, and our, our integrity as believers. So we'll begin reading in Ephesians chapter number 4 with verse number 14. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by whatever joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. What a wonderful and powerful admonition that we have about our hearts and our minds and our conduct. Amen. Before you leave, I want to send you greetings from a graduate of San Francisco Christian School who is now pastoring in Guam. I had breakfast with him this morning. We actually ate in a restaurant, a Denny's in South San Francisco. Can you believe that? Inside. Wow. They asked us if we wanted to eat outside or in. But Gary Walton... Yes. Pastoring there, and he, I guess, used to 
used to carpool with the Innocents to, to school back back in the day. And now he's pastoring in Guam. His father, Dennis Walton, was the pastor for a number of years at the Calvary, Calvary Baptist, Baptist Church. And now he's pastor of that large work in Guam. Yes, he is. These are, this is a quality family. And uh, he has other siblings that are in ministry also. He's a good man. It's a good just, time. just a joy to know that he's there. Yeah. Thank you for those greetings. Yes, sir. Now, I should have been invited to breakfast, however. Well, I got Pastor has read from he, Ephesians chapter 4. And this chapter has kind of been uh, a lot of the theme for this entire study that we've been doing on the thriving church. And uh, last week we finished up uh, lessons or chapters nine and ten, call them lessons nine and ten in his book, and where he focused on nine different examples where where Jesus used grace and truth to minister to unsaved people and to save people. And uh, but we're now we're turning a corner and going back to focus on the idea of church growth and thriving as a church and uh, we yes we do grow as we become like Jesus Christ who was full of grace and truth but Ephesians chapter 4 verses 14 and 15 are kind of the real key verses for tonight so look at those verses with me once again Ephesians chapter 4 verses 14 and 15 we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into, unto him who is the head, even Christ. The idea of speaking the truth in love so that we can grow. We're going to focus on that tonight. That is uh, chapter 11 of uh, Dean Taylor's book, The Thriving Church, the, the number one nutrient for a growing body. <clears throat> growth has been the main focus of the study throughout all of this uh, book. And uh, we've discussed the idea that the church is a body and that it is God's will that the body grow. There's something wrong when a body stops growing. Uh, then it, we, we see, saw where sickness cause, uh, slows growth. And as sickness is, and, and how we are supposed to treat a sick body, there's something wrong with a human body when part of it's going one way and the other part's going another way. When your body's trying to go this way and your stomach doesn't want to go with you, you know you're sick. And there's a way to fix that, and that is to bring unity together. And that's what we're striving for. We've considered what it takes to uh, unify a church body that is made up of many diverse people, men and women, people from different parts of the country, people from different backgrounds, some who've been saved a long time, some who are brand new believers. We all have to be going in the same direction. We've taken time to understand that each of us has been given, been given a spiritual gift and how we're supposed to use the unique spiritual gift that God has given to each one of us for the benefit of the entire body. Uh, pastors uh, also uh, have been given to minister to churches. We're going to focus a little more on that tonight some, with some more information. But uh, pastors are supposed to minister to churches, but so are every other people, every other person in the church who's part of the body. Uh, growth is not necessarily measured in attendance figures, uh, um, the amount of money in the checkbook, the number of missionaries that we support, the number of full-time staff. It's, it's growing as we grow together as a body, becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. A growing church works as it, at its evangelistic efforts, but it also works at encouraging one another and helping each other when they fall and when they have doubts about the, their beliefs and helping them to bring their thoughts back into captivity to the Word of God. 
Now, all of this requires that a church body is properly fed. And that we, we can't be healthy if we haven't been fed right. The number one nutrient that a thriving church needs is the focus of our study tonight, and that is speaking the truth in love. Now, you've heard that phrase, I know you have, and, and, but a lot of people don't know what that means, speaking the truth in love. It's basically a, a Greek word that can, is similar to what we call Googling or, or texting or friending somebody or unfriending somebody on Facebook. It's the idea of taking a, verb, a noun and turning it into a verb. It's the word aletheontes, aletheontes, hard to pronounce sometimes because I don't know Greek that well, but aletheontes is a literal translation of this word that means telling the truth or speaking the truth. It's not just saying it, it is living it out. And this is what we're talking about. It's speaking the truth in love. If we were to put it in one word, we would say, we would call it truthing, just like Googling, or texting, we are truthing. We are taking a, a, a noun and turning it into a verb so that we can live it out in, in our flesh. Now, what is truth? You know, we live in a world right now where there's all sorts of fake news. There's all sorts of, of things that we, we, we have real have a hard time understanding what is true. You, you hear this from one news station. You hear that from another news station. You read this here and you read that there. You read this on the internet. You read that in a book. You read that in a newspaper. You hear this from a friend. Somebody else sends you something else in a text message. What is truth? It's really hard to determine sometimes. It seems like everything has been flipped upside down and opinions have been elevated to the place of truth in the eyes of many people. You've heard someone say, this is, that is your truth, and this is my truth. Well, there's no such thing as that. It, it is the truth. What is the truth, and whether we understand it or not? Uh, each person's interpretation of truth is not truth. Truth is truth, however, whether you interpret it that way or not. In John chapter 18, verses 37 and 38, we see that this is not a new question. This is something that has been around even since the days of the Lord Jesus. Jesus said to Pilate there as he was going in uh, before he went to the cross, and he, Jesus said to Pilate, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Well, let's look at some definitions of truth that come from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Just look this up online on Google. And it's from a dictionary, so I'm assuming there's not much opinion involved with it. But truth, what is it? Uh, the definition of truth, it's the body of, re of real things, events, in fact, it's actuality. It is the state of being the case or a fact. It is a transcendent, fundamental or spiritual reality. Uh, there's a judgment, a proposition or an idea that is true or accepted as true. There's a lot of definitions here. Uh, it's uh, the... The statement of being in accord with fact or reality, it is fidelity to a standard. It is uh, sincerity in action and character and utterance, but it is also based in fact. So it's important that we understand what truth is. But let's, let's simplify it a little bit and, and bring it down for our study tonight. What is truth? It is what is real and it is what is right. There are two things here. 
the Bible makes some very absolute statements that are real and they are true. And whether or not everybody wants to accept it or not, it is very much the fact. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, here's one example. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And then he says, male and female created he them. Now that truth is overwhelmingly obvious. If you look at any book before the time that they started to kind of rewrite things to go along with the liberal thinking of the day, everybody understood the difference between a man and a woman. It's very it's simple biology. It's 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 something that you can observe if you're given the opportunity. Now when I think about this, I'm I'm reminded of a story I heard once of a little girl who went to her daddy and asked him, Daddy, what is sex? That's a word you won't hear often in church. But the, the father didn't know what to do. He was flabbergasted, a little overwhelmed. He stood back and he, he thought, well, this is a little early. Why is she asking me this now? And, and then he just kind of gulped and dove in. And he went into this long, detailed discussion of the birds and the bees. And that little girl just looked up at, his daddy, at her daddy afterwards and said, hmm, all right, so when I fill out this form for school, do I put down an M or an F next to my name? Uh, she didn't understand at all what he was talking about, and he thought she was wanting more information than what she really needed. The, the Genesis 127's gender statement is so clear that it must either be true or false. You're either a man or you're a woman. And that's just the way it is. It's a true fact. It is truth. Now, anything else that's out there right now is either the result of the consequences of sin or it's the result of somebody's vivid imagination. That's just the way it is. That is just the truth. We have two genders. That's the way God created it. That's the truth. That is what is real. Truth is also what is right. We can look at other things about truth, facts, that are written in the Scripture, but we won't take time to do that tonight. But there are other things in Scripture, another example of truth being what is right. There's a right and a wrong. Exodus chapter 20 verse 13 says, You shall not murder. That's just what's right. Don't kill people. Don't murder people. Uh, and that, that's very plain. It's very, very much the truth. It's a straight up fact. And I think in our heart of hearts, everybody knows you're not supposed to do that. But Jesus went even further in Matthew chapter 5 verse 21. He said, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you're good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. What is right is right. What is wrong is wrong. And it is right not to, it is right to be loving and it's wrong to be hateful. It is right to, to care for life. It is wrong to be killing people, whether it's an adulterer, whether it's an infant in the womb. It is wrong. And there's a right and a wrong, and that's just truth. That's just the way it is. It's, it's, there, it's undeniable. You, it is not right to kill. Now, so there's a right and a wrong, and there's a real, and there's, a, and, and, and there's what is real, and there's what is not real. We're dealing with truth, just plain facts, what is truth. Um, we go back to the idea of years, weeks ago we talked about Dragnet and, and Joe Friday saying, tell me just the truth, ma'am. Pastor Kelly started singing the Dragnet song in the back. There he goes again. I hear him. All right. So now what are we supposed to be doing now? Truth is truth. And so what we're supposed to be doing now is we're going to be preaching and teaching the truth. 
That's God's word. That is the primary source of truth. We've got to understand there is something in this world that does not change. And that is this book. That is God's book. It does not change. Whatever God has said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. John chapter 17, verse 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so then we, we know what truth is, and then there's a primary spokesman that God has given to every church body to be the spokesman for truth, and that is the pastor-teacher. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, we've read this earlier, And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, that's to help us grow, uh, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So God has gifted to churches pastors whose job is to preach and teach truth. That, and, and preaching and teaching now is the main conduit of truth that we need to be looking for. The pastor has a responsibility to speak the truth. Not his opinions, not his ideas, not what he thinks, but what God has said. And it's very important to do so. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, the Apostle Paul admonished the young pastor, Timothy, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. That's their truth. That's what they think, their opinion. They want somebody to tell them their opinion is okay. And verse 4 says, And they will turn away their ears from the truth, and turn aside to myths, opinions, guessing, speculation. This is why it's so important that a pastor spends a great deal of time in preparation to tell you the truth. Now, just as any professional, a pastor needs education. He needs to go to a college and get some training. He needs to then go to seminary and get some advanced training. He needs to learn some things. And I think it's even better to get a little bit of uh, time as an intern following along another gifted and, a, and, a, and an experienced pastor to see how he does things, to learn things through an internship program. Other professionals do this. Medical people do this. Uh, architects do this. Everybody in the profession, lawyers do this. Anybody in a professional way gets educated. They get as much education as they can. Then they get some experience serving as an intern under somebody else before they get uh, given the opportunity to build a building or build a bridge or do a surgery on somebody. They want them to practice somewhere along the line so they don't do great damage. And you know, handling the Word of God is very important. That's why we don't just take a novice and just put him up there because he's eager. We want to make sure he knows what he's talking about. We not want to make sure he understands what God's Word has said, that he's read it, that he's studied it, and that uh, he is... And he knows what he's what he's doing. You wouldn't want an uneducated person to build a bridge that you that you drove across every day. Uh, you wouldn't want an uneducated doctor to open you up and do perform surgery on your liver. And you don't want a an uneducated pastor to try to work on your eternal soul. This is an important and important matter, and it's dangerous to let somebody who's not prepared take on this role. Now, pastors deal with these very important things, and so we need to have respect for our pastors. We need to have respect for those who are given this important job. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 says, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. 
You know, it's hard work to be a pastor. And I know other people have hard jobs, and I'm not, I'm not discounting that as well. I'm, I'm not saying it's worse than anybody else's. I'm just saying it, too, is a difficult thing. Not long ago, I heard a young man, uh, heard of a young man. I didn't hear him with my own words. I don't think he would say it in my presence. But I, I heard of a young man who said, I, I don't want to be a pastor. I would never want to do that. All they do is read books and study all day, and then they preach twice a week. You know, how boring is that? That's the, that was his thought. And yes, there is something to that. Uh, it does take a lot of study. It does take some time. If, if you were to really follow your pastor around, you'd find out that it takes sometimes 10, 15 hours to put together one sermon. Uh, sometimes it takes longer than that, depending on if it's a difficult topic to get into. And so if a pastor speaks two or three times a week, we're talking 20, 30 hours a, a, a week in just preparation, sometimes longer than that. So there's a, lot, a big chunk of his time that goes into that. Uh, in order to be able to prepare a proper meal for the church family so that they can be nourished properly. Preaching is part of this speaking the truth in love. Someone has prepared a pastor ser uh, compared a pastor's sermon preparation to the waves of a sea. Uh, it comes in, and the wave hits, and then in comes another one. And I know as soon as I finish up this lesson, I will go home and I will begin thinking about what I'm going to say next Wednesday night. And you, the, the, it never seems to stop. And it's, it's like writing term papers over and over again, over and over again, two and three times a week. It's quite a, quite a job. Now, I'm not telling you that to complain, because, you know, if you like the job that you do, if you've, God's called you to be an architect, uh, you enjoy the work that you put into it. If, if God's called you to be a, a, a surgeon, you enjoy helping people in that way. God's called you to be a baker, whatever it is. You enjoy the time that you put into it. But we will not discount the fact that it is hard work. Uh, it is difficult. We love it, but it's hard work. You just need to understand, pastors don't just sit around and wait for Sunday to happen and then just kind of make something up when they walk into the pulpit. And if they do, you better stop listening to that guy. There's great reward to those who serve the Lord in the opportunity of being in the ministry. So if God calls you to that, please don't run away from it. If God calls you to be an architect, be an architect. Be a Christian architect, be an architect, be an architect who loves the Lord and uses that opportunity to be a witness for him and to stand up for truth and be honest and do those things. But if God calls you to the ministry, don't be afraid of that. He'll give you the grace that you need. He'll give you the, the desire for that. He'll give you the, the burden for that in your heart. And then he'll help you as you get into your study of the word. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-4 through 4 says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, you're talking about pastors, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will be receive the unfaded crown of glory. Now, you understand there's more to being a pastor than just that. Not just studying, not just preaching. He also has to be ready to counsel. He has to be ready to, to meet with other people, meet with staff, meet with other pastors for encouragement. He has to organize. Sometimes he has to be the plumber at the church. All sorts of things have, a pastor has beyond just the preaching and studying of the word. 
but he does it joyfully as a servant unto the Lord. He also has to be a, an example of what a good husband is and what a good father is, and that takes time. So there's a lot of this, including his own personal Bible reading and prayer time. This all takes time. So being a pastor is something that is honorable. His main job and focus is to make sure that he is truthing in front of you, speaking the truth from his lips, but living the truth in his life so that you understand what God has for you. And I can speak for the pastors of our church that we're grateful for the way our people have taken care of us. We've been honored, and we've been, we, are, we are very well cared for, and we are grateful for that. Uh, we take our role very seriously. But do you understand that it's not just the pastor's role to speak the truth in love? The church family has a responsibility in this as well, and in this as well. It is, it is expectation. It's the expectation that we are going to church to get something out of it. We're going to our Bibles on our own to get something out of it. We want to uh, benefit from the ministry that our pastor brings to us and the ministry of the Word to us. You know, a lot of times churches, church people come, people come to church with a different set of expectations. Uh, they, they, they want to be greeted at the front door with someone with a smile on their face. They, they want to see a beautiful building. They want to see a clean facility. They want to know that everything's in order. They want to know that the music sounds good. They want to know that uh, the acoustics are good in the building. They want to know that the aesthetics are nice. They want all of those things, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things. I, I hope we can do the best we can with that. But the biggest expectation you should have when you go to church is that you are going to hear the truth and then go to, in turn speak what you have heard to others and learn what you can from God's Word and then take it on to others. Dean Taylor says, Preaching and teaching should be the focus of the members' time and attention when the body of Christ gathers. I know some people come and they're, they're sermon tasters or they're sermon critics. Oh, that was a good one. Oh, that was a bad one. Oh, he messed up here. You get in front of people and speak a while and you'll find out that you mess up a few times. I probably already messed up some tonight. It just happens. When you're in front of people, you take that risk. But you're trying, the, the pastors are trying to give you something that you need, trying to give you something that is helpful to you. Don't be a church shopper. Don't live with that consumer mentality. Oh, I like the way he looks. I like the way he sounds. I, I, like, I like his gestures. I don't like his gestures. I don't like his voice. Is he speaking the truth? This is what you want to be understanding. This is what you want to be knowing when you go to church. Expect to be blessed, and you will be, no matter who the preacher is, as long as he's faithful to the Word of God. Now, if he's not, then you need to be looking for another church. So, when you go to church, take your Bible, take notes, pay attention, be actively listening. Why? Because then, you need to take what you have learned and speak that truth to others. Let's look at the idea of making choices by truth. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 says, As a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Truthing means that everything that a church does is based upon God's Word. All the decisions that are made are based upon the qualifications of things that are written in God's Word, the directions, the commands, the, the principles that are taught there. Not just by following the latest fads 
boy, there are all sorts of books and magazines and podcasts and and uh, television preachers and all kinds of ideas out there. Everything that you see out there needs to be funneled back through the Word of God so that you know what is true and you know what is made up. What guides the decisions a church makes? What are some of the decisions that we have to make? What ministries are we going to support? What missionaries will we support? What pastor are we going to choose if this pastor is no longer able to be our pastor? What happens when all these things happen, these changes? Do you know enough truth in the Word of God to be able to speak up and to be counted when it comes time to make decisions like this? Uh, sometimes we want to make decisions based upon what's popular. We, we listen to the news and we know that certain trends are popular and sometimes truth is not popular. Well, are we going to follow the cultural trends or are we going to follow the Word of God? Or uh, we're going to follow tradition. Well, we've always done it this way. Or what does the Bible say? We need to go with what the Bible says. You can go the one crazy way with culture. You can go the another extreme with tradition. We need to find the middle sometimes. What does the Bible say? We don't, we don't make decisions based upon our preferences. We make our decisions upon God's word. It's very important that we do that. Don't do that just in church. Do that with your family. The things that you watch on television, the places that you go, the activities that you support, the friends that you choose. You have very little precious time. It's important that you don't waste your time on the frivolous, but that you, that you invest your time wisely in accordance with the truth of God's word. Now, after the final amen is said at a, in a sermon, and usually they end with an amen and a song, and then they send you on your way, Make sure that you have taken some time to sit down and incorporate what was said in the sermon into your daily life as an individual and as a family. Uh, what needs to change in your life because of what you heard in God's Word today? Well, how, how will what was said on Sunday affect you on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday? Every day of the week and all the, all the relationships that you have, something from God's Word should affect you. And should change your life, should be transforming your life. It should have an effect on your, the things that you purchase, the, 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 the alliances that you make, the friends that you make, the places you go, the things that you do. Live out the truth. Don't just make truth what you do on Sunday. Make it part of your everyday life. Don't live in a compartmentalized lifestyle. I'm a Christian on Sunday, but I'm somebody else on Wednesday. Be a Christian all the time. Make God's Word a daily part of your life. That's what truthing looks like. That's what speaking the truth in love looks like. Relationships must be built on truth. Relationships are, that are built on truth take time and effort. They don't just happen. You know, there are two different kinds of relationships, and I think... Unfortunately, many of us just live on that superficial level. We have a superficial relationships, and then we have those significant impact relationships, the ones that really help us to grow, the ones that really help us to grow spiritually. Many people just show up at church, and I recognize that guy's face. I think I've seen him before, and uh, I might even know his name, but I'm not sure if I do. And, and I don't really know much about him, but he always sits in that seat right there, and, 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 and he always wears that one tie that, we, that I either I like or don't like. 
or that la or that lady wears that dress, and you know, okay, or whatever it is that she's wearing, what a hairdo, you know, whatever it is we know about it, but that's all superficial. We need to get beyond all of that. We need to take the time to really get to know one another, and that is truth-based relationships. Ephesians chapter four verse twenty-five says, "Laying aside falsehood, speak truth each with one another, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members one." of another. Dean Taylor says the life-giving, direction-setting, culture-shaping force in a thriving church is truth. Find common ground in God's Word. You know, at our church we do this thing called lunch and mingle. And, and, and I know a lot of times the conversations, and I'm, I'm guilty of it sometimes myself, what's the conversation? Well, what did you do this week? How's work? Uh, what ball game are you going to watch this afternoon? Um, different things like that. Did you hear? Did you hear what they said on the news the other day? And we talk about all this other superficial stuff, and we've forgotten everything that was just preached to us upstairs when we go downstairs to eat lunch and mingle. And that's fine, and and we ought to have some of that general conversation. But at some point, we need to pat, uh, move away from the. The fluffiness of a conversation that doesn't offend anybody is just, you know, you're a nice guy and I, you're a nice lady and I, I like you, you're okay, and I don't know who you are, but you're okay, and, uh, and I can tolerate you long enough to get through this meal. Uh, we need to change that, and we need to get into something where we begin to ask each other, now what did God teach you in that message? What did you learn? Now when you ask that question, you better be ready to give an answer because they're going to turn around and ask you, what did you learn? And make sure that you have really paid attention so that you can answer well. And begin to have your conversations built around what was taught in God's Word in the adult Bible study or the teen Sunday school class, or even the children's Sunday school class. Uh, I, I think it's good for parents to ask your kids, what did you learn in Sunday school today? But it's also good for kids to be able to say, Mom and Dad, what did you learn in the adult Bible study today? And, uh, and it's good for us to have those conversations. What is God teaching you? Another question that will move a conversation away from the fluff into something more serious and something a little deeper is, how may I pray for you? What is a burden on your heart? What is something that I can pray for for you? And then to not just say you're going to pray, but then actually pray for that person. Maybe write it down. Write it on the back of your hand, write it, write it something, not on your forehead, but write it someplace where you're going to remember it. And then do remember to pray for those people. I know on Sundays we have two names pulled out of a fishbowl. Pray for those people. Do you remember who that was? Do you need to be praying for those people? But that's how we go. That's how we develop a deeper relationship. It's a truth-based. It's honest. If somebody asks you, how are you? Don't just say, yeah, I'm fine. If you're not, tell them the truth. I'm hurting. Would you pray for me or this? Now, don't go into great detail and don't have a moaning, groaning fit. But be honest with people. If you have a need, tell them the truth. If you have a burden, tell them the truth. And, and genuinely care about the other person. That is speaking the truth in love. That is truthing with one another. That is going to bring growth to a local church. Now, truth is one of those things that we have to be careful with sometimes. Uh, sometimes you can be blunt and be ugly with the truth. You've heard of the ugly truth uh, and uh, the plain truth. And uh, I guess we can be a little bit overbearing with some of this. Uh, I don't really want to see all of your scars. But uh, we, we, we do need to know that each other have problems. And we do need to be honest about that. 
Dean Taylor says this, Truth is the main nutrient for growth in the body of Christ. But we must be careful how we distribute it. Truth spoken without consideration for the impact it may have can cause unintended hurt. You know, you're ugly. Don't, don't say that. You know, it may be true, but don't say it, okay? We can say the right thing in a thoughtless way and wound somebody, and uh, someone we love, and even scar them for a long time to come. Be careful, be gracious, even as you speak the truth. Speak the truth in love. Be full of grace and truth like Jesus was. Love, what is it like? You know this passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own. It is not provoked, does not take uh, account into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. <clears throat> now, speaking the truth, that also will have some limits. What are some limits? Speaking the truth in love means that we don't necessarily say everything that's on our minds. We don't say everything that's true in every situation. Uh, there are times we should not say what we're thinking. Love may dictate the timing of what we say. We need wisdom in knowing when to speak and when to wait. I remember our pastor in Guam, when I was there, used to, used to tell us, please don't come up before, right before a church service and, and tell me something horrible that has happened. Because my mind is going to be gone when it comes time to preach the word. We didn't need to know the perfect time to speak truth. There is a time. And we need to wait for that time. There are times when it's better to hold our tongues because we haven't had time to discern what God really wants in a situation. Haven't had time to pray about it before we speak to this other person about a trouble that they're having or a situation that needs to be dealt with. If it's not based in love, stay silent. And until you're confident that your spirit and your speech can be in line with what the Holy Spirit has laid upon your heart. Sometimes we do need to confront somebody with sin. Sometimes we do need to speak up. Love is worthless if we don't speak up when it needs when we need to speak up. But it can be out of bounds when we speak when we should not speak. So we need to ask God to give us great wisdom and discernment in this idea of truthing with one another, speaking the truth in love. The best way to speak truth in um <clears throat> speak loving truth to someone who needs to be confronted when they've fallen into sin or are heading in a bad direction is to do so maybe with questions. Here are some good questions to ask somebody. Why are you doing that? Why did you say that? How does what you are doing or what you just said fall in line with what the scripture has to say about it? And then let that sink in a little bit. If they really love the Lord and you develop the relationship with them enough that you can speak the truth to them, and, and it's not just that superficial relationship we talked about, it is one of those impact relationships that you have, then let the Holy Spirit work in their hearts. Don't preach it, people. You tell them what God's Word has said, and then you back up and let God's Word speak to their hearts. Now, sadly, sometimes that means you've spoken the truth and they know the truth and they've rejected the truth and then there has to come a separation. You just can't fellowship with them because they're going one direction, they're going, you're going another. That's never because you hate somebody. That's never because you dislike somebody. The goal is not to destroy. The goal is to build them up. You might have to separate with them for a while to help them to understand that what they're doing is wrong and they're going in the wrong direction. 
and then hopefully they'll turn around and come back. But keep praying for them, and keep working towards them, and try to help them thrive. The idea is to help them to grow. <clears throat> now, let's bring this to a close, because we're right at the time. Unfortunately, some people wouldn't know the truth if it bit them on the end of the nose. And that's basically because they don't read their Bible, they don't listen to the preaching, they don't pay attention when God's Word is being preached. They're not part of a church family that does have good preaching. And so they don't know the truth. Unfortunately, a lot of people are starving for the truth. Some of them are unsaved. They've never been born again. And they're dead in trespasses and sins. And You know, you can't feed a dead body anything. It won't help them no matter how good the nutrition is. They really need to be born again. And if you go to preach, hear preaching, and you go to read God's Word, and you never get anything out of it, you better ask yourself, am I truly a child of God? And if you're not, you can take care of that. Ask Jesus Christ to save you. You'll be born again. Something inside of you will change, and God's Word will start making sense to you. Yeah. That's the Holy Spirit. He will enlighten you, and He will guide you into all truth. Then there are other Christians who are just, frankly, malnourished. They, they don't read their Bible. They don't pray. They, they don't pay attention to preaching. They're counting the number of light bulbs in the chandeliers or whatever is going on, looking at somebody across the auditorium making faces, teenagers sometimes passing notes, whatever, and they're not getting fed spiritually because they're not taking the nourishment that's being given to them. It's important that we get what we need. Get serious about this matter of truth. Get serious about your spiritual life. You need God's Word. It's You are dependent upon it. Without it, you will be a, a malnourished Christian. And you'll be unhappy in your life. You'll be unfruitful in your ministry. And uh, you will not be able to be used of the Lord. You cannot thrive without it. Let's go back to that text verse that we looked at at the beginning. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, whatever the fancy is, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, were to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. And Ephesians 4.13 says, Until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Are you growing because you've been fed with a proper nutrient? Are you a student of the Word through your own reading and through listening actively to the preaching of the Word? And then are you sharing it with others as you have your conversations and opportunities to speak up for the Lord? I hope that you will be. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word that speaks truth to us. It gives us what we need. It is our very life. We need it. In order to have a relationship with you, in order to have the right relationship with the unsaved, in order to have a right relationship with our, with our fellow believers, our church cannot grow if we're not feeding on your word. So Lord, help us to be students of the word. Help us not to be hearers, but doers of it. Help us to share what we learn with others so that we might be effective in the work that you've given to us to do. Help us to grow 
in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and in the ministries that you would have for us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.